I was in the second grade, and my biggest aspiration in life was to be an elf. It was the Liberty Elementary School Christmas play, and the elves had it all. You know, the elves, they had cool, fake, pointy ears, uh, and, and they got to wear them like earmuffs, and I just thought that was so cool. Uh, they had toys to tinker with, and of course, they had all the show-stopping songs. Uh, anybody who was anybody got to be an elf. But I didn't get to be an elf. Uh, no, when parts were announced from down on high, I was assigned the role of Hollyberry. And, and, and Hollyberry, they didn't get cool ears or toys to tinker with or any songs at all. Uh, we got a paper plate that we cut a hole in and colored red and held over our faces uh, to be Hollyberries for the big Christmas play. Uh, we're in our second week of a series we began last week called Core, uh, looking at some of the core values uh, which we want to define ourselves by as a church. We discussed last week, this is kind of refining our vision as a church of who we are and who we want to be. And last week, we, we kicked off this series by focusing ourselves on Jesus. That as a church, we want to be centered around Jesus. We want everything we do to point people closer to Him. Every sermon, every lesson, every program should be all about bringing others closer to Jesus. And if you weren't here last week to listen to that sermon, I'd really encourage you uh, to go back. You can listen to it on our, our website or our podcast to really understand what we're doing through this series and the vision that we want to cast through it. And so this value of Jesus, centering our, ourselves around Jesus, is really kind of one that we can all get behind. You know, most of us are coming to church regularly because we believe in Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. We have declared him Lord of our lives. But the second core value that we talk about this week is maybe one that's a little harder to rally ourselves around. Because while we believe it's true in theory, uh, personally, it might be a little harder to believe in, to, to buy into. Uh, the value that we want to introduce this morning is the value that each part plays a part. That each of us in the body of Christ, the church, have a role to play and service to Him. And the reason I say it's maybe a little harder to rally around this uh, core value compared to our one last week is because we all have had those hollyberry moments. You know, we, we want to think of ourselves as elves, the, the important ones, the, the prominent ones, the, the important, the influential ones. But then we find ourselves with a paper plate around our face wondering what part we could possibly play, how the part that we play could possibly be important. And it's actually something that the Bible speaks to in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul begins in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. He says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now I'd like to pretend that I, I planned it this way, uh, but preparing for the sermon this week, I realized how perfectly God had orchestrated these two values that we've talked about so far uh, working together. You know, before Paul speaks to the part that each of us have to play to the vitality of the church, he reminds us and he centers us around Jesus. Last week as we ended Colossians chapter 1, we were reminded that Christ as the church is our head. And that, that we find that, uh, here we find that said again. That Christ is the head of the church, that we are all parts that make up one body under the headship, under the lordship of Jesus. 
And so really our, our part to play in service, each part playing a part, is really something that is born out of being centered around Jesus. The driving force behind our effectiveness as multiple parts of one body is our unity in Jesus. Let me say that again. Our driving force behind the effectiveness that we play as multiple parts of one body is our unity in Jesus. In just the the first two verses of this passage, Paul will use this word one five times. He, in fact, will use the word body more than any other biblical writer, all of them combined. And over 90 of the times that used in the New Testament, 50 of those words body are in 1 Corinthians alone. 20 of them in this chapter alone. Paul is driving home the point that to be effective in the parts that we play as a body, we have to be one body. His primary message is, is that as a church, though we live as many parts and have many parts, we work together as one whole. And I, I think that if we're not careful, we could kind of dismiss Paul's call to unity. Because we would like to think of us, as any church does, as a place that's pretty united. I mean, we, we come in and, and we smile and we shake hands with each other and, and, and we're united. That's, but when it comes to this kind of unity and this core value, that really there's kind of two thought processes that could derail everything. Either an, an inferiority complex or a superiority complex could really diminish the roles that we play as parts of one body. In other words, uh, there's two mindsets that will destroy any attempt of us, each of us to play the part that we have to play, being either self-pity or pride. Self-pity could derail the parts that we play when we think that we just don't have anything to offer. When we thought we were an elf, but we turned out to be a holly berry, and so we fail to participate in the life of the church. And when we fail to participate, the body is missing some of its parts. On the other hand, when we think of ourselves pridefully, when you think of yourself as God's gift to the church, you tend not to allow others to contribute their gifts and and their talents and their abilities as you try to do it all. And so in order to guard against either of these extremes, Paul gives us two imperatives to avoid the the traps of self-pity and pride. First, to to guard ourselves against this kind of self-pity, he tells us not to underestimate our importance. I mean, it's obvious that not everyone in church is satisfied with the role that they've been given to play. You know, maybe one guy or one woman has been given the spiritual gift of of teaching or prophecy, this idea of bold proclamation, and another is given the spiritual gift of, like, emptying trash cans. You know, we we, we want to be the prominent, the important, the teacher, the leader, the, the bold person. But when we don't have that role, rather than viewing our role as part of the vital role of the church, we view our part as as less than. And so Paul describes what happens to the body when we kind of allow this self-pity to take root. Verse 14, he says, Even so, the body is made up not of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If we were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. 
Paul gives kind of this example of two opposing parts to highlight how we might feel insignificant in the role that we have to play. Because some of us might feel like, like feet in the church. No one thinks of me as important. No one thinks of me as significant. I have, I have little to contribute to this, this ministry. I don't really matter in the church. If I stop showing up, I doubt anyone would even notice. And so the foot plays the comparison game. Now, you know, if I was the hand, if I was that guy, I'd be up front where all of the action is. When the hand is out there, he's shaking hands, and he's waving, and he's giving high fives, and, and I'm just stuffed in an old shoe. And so if you think about you know, your hands compared to your feet, you really see the point that Paul is making. I mean, it's only at informal gatherings do we let our, our feet go out in public. You know, your hands can take a, a scalpel and, and perform delicate operations. Hands command instruments and, 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 and direct symphonies. You know, there, there's a reason they call it jazz hands and not jazz feet. It just doesn't have the same effect. You know, the foot thinks that the hand has, has so much dexterity and he can pick up things and he can, he can do things so easily. The foot has this inferiority complex because the hands are out in the limelight. Paul makes the, the same comparison uh, between the eyes and the ears. You know, the, they say the eyes are the windows to the soul. And you look at somebody's ears, you're likely to throw up. You know, it's just like there's a different role here going on. And so when it comes to a value like each part plays a part, it can be easy to scoff because maybe you feel like a, like a foot or an ear. Maybe you feel like you're past your prime or like the best years of ministry are behind you. Maybe you just don't have that, that front and center kind of personality. Maybe you don't have the talents or abilities that people tend to notice. But look again at verse 18. It says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. The same God that we looked at last week, the same God that created entire galaxies and invented DNAs and constructed everything around us down to the atomic particles that makes everything around us, created you to be uniquely who you are. And so if you're a foot or an ear or any other part that you might deem indispensable to the health of the church, listen to the truth that God speaks to us about how he made us together. He says if you're a foot trying to be a hand, you will always think of yourself as insignificant because you can't do what others do. But if God made you a foot, Paul says, you know, plant yourself firmly and stand powerfully and, and move swiftly as one who in many ways carries the rest of the church. I actually kind of uh, saw this in action a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there was a couple in our church that uh, approached me recently and, and basically said, hey, we've, uh, we've been serving in a ministry recently where we've kind of been up front and center, and, and we think we'd rather just kind of operate in the background. We'd rather kind of just pray for people in the background, connect with them in, in more personal ways, and I love that. Because what they were, in effect, saying is, is, hey, we're not really hands kind of people. We're not really eye kind of people. We'd much rather just be walking with people behind the scenes. They weren't saying we're not good enough to be hands. But rather what they were saying is, is we've been feet trying to squeeze ourselves into gloves. When rea in reality, we fit much better in shoes. Each of us has a part to play. Each part plays a part. And no part is greater than any other. 
just different in how we serve the church and how we serve our king. But perhaps a greater danger in this whole idea of being united as one body isn't that we think too little of ourselves, but that we think too much of ourselves. Maybe rather than inferiority, we feel great pride. And so for those with the opposite problem, Paul gives the opposite imperative. He says, do not overestimate your importance. Paul writes to affirm to us in the church that every member is important. While every member is important, though, no part is indispensable. Verse 20, he says, as it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that each part should have equal concern for one another. As Paul deals with this point of pride, we see kind of parts of the body talking down to one another. Because that's ultimately what pride leads us to do. Pride leads us to to put others down so that we can be lifted up or feel higher lifted up. You know, the eye and the head would be regarded as the, the most important parts, the intellectual parts, the power of reasoning and insight and observation and intellect. The eyes and the head reflect the, the important sense of the social elite in this church in Corinth. But the hands and the feet in comparison are, are not held so highly. You know, they're the, the symbols of manual labor. But Paul rather than saying the head and the eyes are, are the important ones and the hands and the feet are, are the less important, makes the exact opposite point. In a culture that held banquets and, and erected statues and awarded crowns and gave speeches to show honor, we see a biblical understanding of honor is quite different. That a man or a woman's self-worth does not exist as a result of achievement or power or wealth or class or appearance or anything else, but because God has attributed or imputed worth. But what is perhaps most surprising of all is that Paul shows us that not only are the seemingly weak or unpresentable or private parts valuable, but actually they might be the most valuable of all. As I reflected uh, on this idea this week, I was reminded of the story of Arlen D. Williams. Now, often when we see buildings or or statues or memorials around us named, uh, they, they... be after people. They, they represent people who are rich or powerful or, or influential or, or donated lots of money. But there is a bridge called the Arlen D. Williams Bridge that crosses the Potomac River in Washington, D.C. that is named such for none of the typical reasons. In January uh, 1982, Air Florida Flight 90 was taking off out of Washington National uh, Airport on a cold, icy day. And just minutes into the flight, the plane started to lose altitude and hit the 14th Street Bridge and went into the river. Uh, the, the survivors were few even at that point. And when the rescue helicopter arrived, the plane had broken into sinking sections and really only the tail was sticking out. There were only a few people having survived in that tail section. In fact, six, uh, one of them being Arlen D. Williams. And one, one man, known before that day, this man Arlen Williams, was the most 
visible. He was the most accessible. He seemed to be the most alert. He was the one who was most likely to survive. He wasn't exceptional in any way, in, in the usual sense of the word. He was middle-aged and, and balding. He was just a normal guy. But when the rescuers in the helicopter lowered a harness and a lifeline to him, they pulled it up and found somebody else on it. And the, the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, every time they lowered this preserver, Arlen would load another survivor into it. Every time he gave a little piece of his salvation to somebody else. The last time they lowered it, the tail section was gone, and so was Arlen Williams. You see, the Arlen D. Williams Bridge exists today not because of a prideful man who sought notoriety, but because of an ordinary man who sacrificed everything for the good of others. You see, the opposite of pride is not humility. It's not feeling less about yourself. The opposite of pride is sacrifice. It's of not thinking of yourself at all. The enemy of pride is a life that has lived in the shape and shadow of the cross. Because if anybody had a reason to be prideful, it was Jesus. If anyone had a reason to insist on this prime position, it was him. But Jesus recognized his part to play in the divine rescue plan that God had ordained. And so he said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Philippians chapter 2 says it this way, that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, when we lay down our lives and we play our part, we create opportunities for God to get the glory. Now, maybe this morning, you think, yeah, that sounds good. It's a worthy value. I'm glad it's on the wall now. And maybe it's even inspiring, but it's not for me. Because I don't care what you say, the truth is I am indispensable. But think about, I, I was thinking about this as I was kind of uh, working over my notes this week. I sitting there clicking a pen, and I realized... Now, every kind of part of this pen is indispensable for it to be a pen. I mean, it, obviously, the big part is the ink cartridge. Without this, there's no writing at all. And so we think, oh, yeah, this is, this is the important part. But if you've ever taken apart a pen and the spring went flying, you realize this is no good at all. Or, or the body that holds it all together or the clicker at the end or even those little gears on the inside that you discovered one boring math class as you took your part your pen apart and you found those little plastic parts on the inside even those without those this pen is useless there are no indispensable parts if any one of these parts doesn't live up to its job then the pen cannot function and so as we define what it means for each part to play its part, I want to challenge you with a number of opportunities because while none of us are indispensable, 
The truth is, all of us have a role to play. There might be a time where we move away or pass away and, and somebody comes to, to follow in our place and pick up the mantle where we left off. But as it is now, as you are a part of this church, the church, as you are part of the kingdom of God, the part that you play is vitally important. And so I want to challenge you with this value, first of all, to make it personal. You know, to care about how things go. To, to make this more than just something, a uh, Sunday duty, but to make what you do in church a life goal. To orient yourself around the work that we do here and to make it personal. That each of us have, would have a vested stake at what happens here. Secondly, I want to encourage you to make yourself counted. Last week at the annual meeting, I talked about how I would like to place a greater emphasis this coming year on baptism and membership. And I know membership can kind of be a seemingly silly thing. You know, I've, I've seen people around town and they say, yeah, I'm a member at Countryside. I'm like, I haven't seen you in five years. Uh, and there's other people here that aren't members and they're here every week. And so I understand membership can be, you know, I don't need to do that. But really, I want to encourage you to. Because what church membership does is it says, you know, I'm all in. You know, I'm here. I'm, I'm vested. I'm making it personal. What happens at Countryside Christian Church, it's not just somewhere I go. It's something that I'm a part of. And as a member there, I have a part to play. And so I want to encourage you, if you've gone here for a while, but you've never placed that membership, you've never said, you know, I want to be counted as one of us. And though this is a place to belong, even if you're not a member, we want to encourage you to say, this is my church, I'm all in. Lastly, I want to challenge you, uh, not just to come to church, but to be the church. You'll notice uh, in your bulletin this morning, there's an insert. It's a half uh, sheet of green paper. And on that, there's listed 50 ways to be the church. And we put that together this week because sometimes we talk about the part that we have to play or, or the service that we can do, and, and we don't really think of you know, how we can do that. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, you preach and, and whatever, but you know, what can I do? Well, on this sheet are 50 easy things that you can do in our community, in prayer, for missions, for the church, 50 things that you can do to say, I have a part to play, and I'm going to play it. This morning, I want to encourage each and every one of you by telling you that you are not a spare part, or you are not an extra part. Each of us have unique ways that we can impact the kingdom in Pittsburgh. And for some of you, it might be using your talents or abilities. For some of you, it might be having a unique sphere of influence. That there are people that only you can reach with the good news of Jesus. For some of you, it might be a unique impact that you have. I heard it said, and I've said it before, but I thought bear reiterating uh, a quote that I love that keeps me grounded as a preacher, as a minister. It says, when you leave your church someday, whatever the case might be, others will come in and they will be called pastor and preacher and teacher. But there is only a select group in this world that will call you husband and daddy. And so maybe your unique part to play is simply being a godly spouse and a parent that will faithfully point your family to Jesus every single day. You know, whatever the part that you have to play, I encourage you to play it well. If you're a Hollyberry, 
you hang that face, uh, that plate on your face with pride, and you shine like no berry has ever shined. Play the part that God has called you to play, because each part has a part. This morning, I want to invite you, uh, if you've not um, accepted your part to play in church, uh, and to think about that, to pray about that, to, to encourage, to ask others around you, now, what, what do you see me as good at? What can my impact or, or abilities or, or influence be that you would encourage me to, to grow in myself, to be a part of the church? Maybe it's just prayer, praying through that list of things that you can do to be the church and finding, you know, one, two, three, several of them that you can do this week or in the coming months. Whatever it is, I want to invite you to respond during this time. I'll be up front. Some of our elders will be in the back. We'd love to pray with you uh, about what role you can play. Or maybe if you need to give your life to Jesus or rededicate your life to Jesus, to come back to him, to center yourself around him, to play the part that you have to play. We'd love to help you with that as well. Whatever it is, I'd encourage you to find a part to play because the church needs you and the kingdom needs you. And each part plays a part. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you this morning because it's incredible to know and to believe and be told that from the foundations of the world, you knew each of us. You knew who we would be. You knew what we would look like. You knew where, how we would act and, and where we would live and what talents we would have. You knew everything about us. And in creating us, you said, I have a role for you to play. I have a part for you to do. And God, I just pray this morning that uh, for those in this room that underestimate the importance, you would encourage them and challenge them through your spirit to know that they are needed, that they are, are not spare parts, that they are not extra, but they are valued and valuable to the service of your church and to your kingdom. Uh, God, for the opposite, uh, for the prideful, as I contend to be myself, I pray that you would keep us grounded and knowing that we are not uh, indispensable and that while we have a part to play, sometimes it's best to uh, you know, encourage others in their giftedness and in sacrifice, consider others better than ourselves just as you did on the cross. Jesus, we thank you for your death and for the new life that is available to us through your resurrection. Because in this new life, you tell us that we are valued, that we were so valuable to you that you loved us so much that you would die for us in our place so we might live and serve you for your church and for your kingdom. God, I pray to help us, for you to help us find our part and for us to play that part well. And we pray this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.